Welcome to episode 37 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Bryn Jackson. In this episode, we got to hang out with Julie Zhu from Facebook. You know her from her incredible Medium series, The Year of the Looking Glass. She's written some incredible stuff to really help out designers and uh, really change how people think about approaching product design. It was really awesome to have her on. We talked about a lot of cool things. It was a really fun episode. Lots to learn. If you are enjoying the show, we are nominated for Podcast of the Year at the Net Awards. Head to designdetails.fm. We have a banner along the top where you can vote for us. We would really, really love your support. And thank you so much to everyone who has already voted for us. If you want to share that on Twitter, uh, every vote helps us. And um, we, we're down to like two weeks. Yeah, we don't have much time left. It was like the final sprint. So thank you to everyone who's already voted for us. Before we get into this episode, huge thank you to our sponsors. Our first sponsor for this show is Dropbox. Dropbox, as you know, is a free, incredibly easy way for designers like yourself to get more done. Whether you're brainstorming or working on an existing project, Dropbox is the perfect place to keep your work safe. If anything ever happens to your computer, all of your files, all of your designs, they're going to be safe in the cloud, accessible on all of your devices. Uh, It's an amazing service. We use it for everything, for this podcast, for our own personal work, all of our design work. For our work work work. work. (laughs) It has version control. You can put version control on your design files, on your audio files, on whatever files, and that is fantastic. That alone is worth the price of entry. Yep. And then you've got like the massive amount of storage you can get. You've got over-the-air syncing in the background, which is incredible. Like we, We record at Brian's house. It syncs to my computer back at home where sarah can edit our show that's fantastic and they're building some really great tools for designers they just introduced a commenting feature which lets people uh, have a central place to post their thoughts so you can share an image of whatever you're working on uh, put it on dropbox and other people designers and non-designers within your company can come there comment post their thoughts and it's all going to stay in one place so you no longer have to send dozens of emails back and forth talking about one specific design it's really beautiful. You can learn more about how Dropbox will help your design life by going to dropbox.com. Thanks to Dropbox. Our second sponsor is a new one, Imagix. Imagix is a real-time image resizing service and CDN. They, uh, they take your image, you take one image, an original asset, and then they can render it at any size merely by changing the URL. You can add effects, you can mask it, you can do these crazy things. Uh, I've used it before. It's a really, really awesome tool, especially for like responsive design. Uh, so you can put like multiple scales of a specific item or of a specific asset. It's oh my god, it's so cool. Especially for like user generated content, you can you can design whatever you want without having to worry about the engineering constraints because it can just do what you want, like straight up. They have some really cool stuff like cropping and blurring, um, water adding watermarks. You can auto enhance images, rotate it, mask it, all just by adding parameters to uh, an image URL. So you don't actually have to do too much editing on your side you don't have to ask engineers to help uh really a beautiful service it even gets it like super advanced where you can like change the image quality or the color space or chrome subsampling rates that's some mark yes, edwards that's shit insane right <laughs> so if you are a designer working with images you need to check out imagex it's going to make your life a whole lot easier yeah so that's imgix you can sign up at imagex.com thanks again to imagex let's get into episode 37 with, with julie, julie zoo, zoo. that was cute (laughs) yeah so what are you working on right now so uh i oversee uh an area uh which you can think about as like the content ecosystem for facebook so this is like newsfeed this is like how people share you know photos videos uh and it's kind of like whether or not we let you share the things that you want to share and 
that you see the things that you want to see in newsfeed. Got it. Okay. It's a really hard <laughs> challenge. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think a lot of times when people think about Facebook, they automatically think about newsfeed because that's, yep. you know, where most of the time that you're spending just like reading your newsfeed. And I think that that is a really complex ecosystem and something that like, you know, a billion people are looking at. So it feels like a lot of responsibility to try and, and make that as good as we possibly can. So you're the director of design for that. Yeah, right. for that area. What does yeah. that mean to be the director of design? Like, how does that? So we have uh, we have like a lot of different product teams that work on a lot of the different aspects of of that system. You know, everything from like what do the story formats look like to you know how do you share photos to like how do videos render? And so we have a lot of different teams, um, and each team, of course, has you know engineers, PMs, designers, and uh, all of the different design teams uh, are sort of what comprise up of of my group and so I uh, work on making sure that that's healthy that we have like the right designers that we're hiring really great people to to work on these things and that you know the the pieces that we're working on feel unified and that you know we just have high quality design work yeah and how long have you been doing uh, in the director role how long have you been doing that um probably around three or four years now with maybe about three years did yeah. you start as a director at Facebook? No, I start. I, I started at Facebook uh, nine years ago. Nine wow, so that's insane. Didn't you know? I didn't even start as a designer. I started as an engineer, uh, and it was an internship. So I was like Facebook's very first intern, <laughs> summer crap. intern. What? <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, like I, because I'd gone to college and I'd gotten a computer science degree, and I didn't know that there was even this thing called design. But what I realized after I joined Facebook, like all that you know, website designing and everything that I had been doing in high school was design. I just didn't know there was like a career for it. Uh-huh. And so right after I started at Facebook, I was like, wait, I really want to be doing more of that thing. You know, the stuff that I always thought was like extracurricular or like a hobby. That's what I want to be doing. And so I kind of very quickly converted over to designing um, and, you know, just learning more about uh, the things that I wasn't formally trained in. Um, and even back then at Facebook, it you know the the roles were were much muddier uh, when we hired designers we were hiring technical designers and so we would you know throw coding questions uh, you know for designers at interviews uh, back in those days and and everybody we hired we wanted to make sure that they had actually had some experience building um, not just a website but more a web application right. and back in those days I was like you know there weren't that many web applications out there uh, so we were kind of looking for people who would you know, done that that whole thing. Uh, and so it was just a very, very natural progression. It wasn't like, oh, I was an engineer and like suddenly I was a designer. It was much more blended back in the day. And so I worked at Facebook. Um, I worked on, you know, the initial version of Facebook platform and login. Uh, we did the, the first external like button. Um, so I did design all of that. And then about three years later, I got into managing the team and have been managing and growing the Facebook design team ever since. Awesome. Now, you would you didn't have to go the management route, is that right? You yeah. could have stayed. Yeah, that's an right. Individual contributor. Yeah. yeah. Why was the management route interesting to you? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, at the time, my manager was like, "I think you should do it, and we need a manager, and I think you'd be good at it." And I was like, "Okay." Didn't really know. I you know, wasn't. It, I didn't really know uh, too much about it. But um, over the years, I mean, I think I've what I really enjoy is uh, you know working with designers um, really helping you know designers um become better designers um i think that that's the part that 
I really, really love to do. Um, and uh, to me, you know, being a manager is really about knowing the team and knowing what the team needs. And so you, you sort of look at the team and you think, well, you know, these are the problems that our team needs to solve and do we have the right people and are the, you know, the people working on the, the best things, you know, the things that really let them leverage the things that they're good at, right? And are they paired with people that they love to work with? And, you know, do they feel like they're learning? And, you know, what else does the team need? And, and like, those are the kinds of questions that I get really um, interested in. And, and then, you know, you talk about things like, like, what's a good design process for the team? Or, you know, what are the ways in which this group of people can, you know, produce better work or be more efficient or, you know, love what they're doing a little bit more. And to, to me, like management is in many ways also a design problem. It's just you're designing more of like, yeah, know, absolutely. The, the people side of it. That's what exactly are, what Cap Watkins said too. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like almost word for word. Yeah. Well, Cap and I, I think we like, we see pretty high to eye a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So you've seen the team grow from somewhat small to now the design team is huge. What have been like the main pain points through that evolution yeah um there's like i mean i think every you know month we're looking at uh we're, we're learning and we're thinking about scaling and uh you know we're we're like trying to figure it out all out because it's it's always feels new right like we've never been in our history ever been at the size that we are at now and that's been true every mm-hmm. step of the way and it feels absolutely massive in that new building yeah. like holy crap <laughs> i never quite appreciated the scale of the old building yeah. but now it's whoa yeah and you're doing two more of them um that's what i hear i'm not wow. what that's insane <laughs> yeah really i hear there did you yeah. not know that no brian <laughs> i should know this <laughs> I, I i didn't really know this either but somebody told me you know a couple weeks ago i was like oh, yeah, yeah, i read I a mean, new story about it and i was two like two more of those yeah. yeah you have to plan these things like way in advance yeah it's like what five-year outlook yeah or something. yeah wow that's, anyways sorry yeah um, okay, so what are the things that have been um, really challenging? I mean, I think a lot of it is um, figuring out how to continue to design as one voice. Um, you know, that's something where, you know, when you have like five people, it's pretty easy and everyone knows what everyone's working on. And then as you scale, you know, sort of figuring out uh, to what extent people are, are aware or know what else is going on, but that things like design patterns, design standards, you know, what is facebook's design voice these are things that i think become more and more challenging so uh as we scale so that's definitely one thing i think um even figuring out how we scale learning um and you know when when people join now or it used to be i think when you join you know you'd have like a one-day orientation and then in like a very short amount of time you'd be like all right i know everything that's going on and i think today you know there's so much more that a new designer um, tr- has to understand. Every- and we try and you know make sure everyone has that in a, a consistent experience. Things like what is the history of Facebook design? How did we evolve to where we got to today? To what are all the different things that different project teams are working on? And figuring out how to like give each new person a, a consistent experience um, and make sure that they feel like they can get to know the other people on the team, that they feel like, you know, prepared to um, go in and design a problem and, and get all the context that they need. So, you know, education and learning. And uh, um, uh, so those are some of the things that, that have also been more challenging as we scaled. I also just think that from a product perspective, uh, you know, when we were a college site, it was much easier to change <laughs> stuff around because everybody would be yeah. like, 
awesome you launched this new feature like i love it you know and uh <laughs> not anymore <laughs> and you know it's like you'd rearrange things and they're like great like love what you're doing you know and then and then at some point you know we were still doing that we were still like oh yeah like of course we could just you know push a button and then you know people would get a you know a redesign or a new facebook and at some point we realized like we could no longer really do that and and have people be comfortable with it you know and i, I think uh it wasn't, it was, you know, so gradual, right? Because, you know, we would grow, we, we were growing and there were more and more people. But at, at one point, you know, I think we started to to still be operating as if we were, um, uh, you know, like as we did a year or two ago and suddenly we were launching these designs and people were, you know, giving us all this feedback that like, wow, why'd you guys change that? Like that, you know, like, give me the old thing back. One of the, one of the funniest things about, I mean, about the Facebook feedback to me is that people would like post pictures and be like, upvote this enough or uh, like this enough times and Mark will change it back manually. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't believe that stuff actually happened on the platform. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that that has been a learning for us too. It's like, how do we roll out new changes? You know, how do we do change? Because we're still a company that, really you know wants to move fast and continues to build new things and we don't want to just get stuck right i mean that just mm -hmm. that would be like the death of you know innovation and so it's still important for us culturally to be able to um continue to improve our pro product but we also need to like balance it now with the fact that when you have over a billion people using your service and again they're not all college students who are like looking for the next thing you know and, mm -hmm. and really open to change there are people for whom like changes you know it's like going to your living room and rearranging your furniture it's like even if it's a better configuration you have to like get used to it and so we have to you know talk about it more we have to you know tell people why we think it's good or why why they'll benefit from it and we need to hold ourselves to that bar a little bit more too when we build things right it can't just be for changes sake it actually has to be worth the cost of what the change will be mm -hmm. so that's one thing i think the other thing on the product side is just continue to make sure that our product doesn't uh you know doesn't get infinitely complex because you know it's much it's always much easier to add things than it is to remove things or you know rearrange things as we talked about like you know rearranging things is is hard uh but if you always keep adding new things and at some point like you realize okay wow this is like really really complex and we need to figure out how to simplify and we need to you know and that to me is all about the evolution of a product so figuring out how we continue to do that at the scale that we are at, that we are at now is still you know one of um, the the biggest challenges that that product teams are uh, that we always talk about so a lot of these problems you've been very vocal about through your year of the looking glass blog series which it's been over a year now right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> it started out uh you know it's, I guess it's this is two and a half years ago about two and a half years ago it was it was in January and um, you know, I've always been writing and I mean, I don't think most people know this, but like, you know, for the previous couple of years, I always would have like a writing goal and my writing goal usually was like, let's like write a novel. And so I had four years of writing goals, which is like to write a novel. And I did complete a novel, never see the, it'll never see a light of day. Cause it's like, they're actually all awful, but they did get better and better. And then <laughs> one, you know, year I was like, okay, it's time for me to set, you know, what it is I want to, or what's my like writing project. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it isn't a novel this year. Maybe I'll actually try blogging. You know, I'll, I'll write like a little bit more publicly and I've never had a blog. And frankly, the thought of having a blog was really terrifying to me. Just the fact that I would have, you know, a public audience that would read what I wrote. Because again, when you're working on novels, it's like, you know, it's like a word doc and you're like the only person who reads it. And if it's terrible, you don't have to ever show anybody. 
And so I was like, I think this is going to be, you know, really hard, but I'm just going to try to do it. And so I set that goal. And that first year I was like, I'm just going to write one thing a week. And it doesn't have to be any good. And I, I tried to make it, I was like, it doesn't have to be any good. It can be about anything. I'm not, you know, my goal isn't like, I'm, you know, you trying to, to build an audio. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, like, just going to write whatever is on my mind. And I just need to get into this habit of doing it. And I hope that it'll get easier. Mm. And the first couple of times it was, you know, I'd, I'd like sit in front of the blank screen and be like, I have no idea what to write about. And it's like two hours would pass. And, you know, I'd like, open a couple more browser tabs and, and, you know, read other things to try and get inspiration. And it, it just, it was like awful. It would like take me forever to even figure out what I wanted to write about. Um, but as time passed, you know, it did get easier. And since my, my goal for myself was just to do it, just to, you know, publish something once a week, uh, it did get easier, easier. And then, so I did that for a year and I was like, awesome, I did it. And then the second year I was like, okay, well, I'm actually really enjoying this. And what I learned was that when I was sitting down to write, it it helped me think. It helped me try, you know, in all of these like hazy things, it helped me kind of distill them. Even for myself, it helped me get to a crisper articulation. And I felt that the process of writing was kind of like, you know, a learning thing or, or self-discovery thing for me. And so I, I kind of wanted to continue that. Um, but once a week was actually a lot. Like it, it took a really, yeah, a really it took a lot, a lot of time. So the second year it was uh, once every two weeks. So that was my goal for myself. And uh, then, you know, the last January, like I just had a baby recently and I was like, all right, I'm, I really don't have nearly as much time. So this year it's once every three weeks. That's still quite a lot actually. It's impressive. Seriously impressive. And they're awesome. One of my favorites is the uh, how to be that designer. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's kind of like a sarcastic take on what you shouldn't do. Yeah. Right. I try and very, because part of it too is like, I've been, you know, trying to find like, what's my, what's like, what's my style? What's my voice? And um, if you read like some of the earlier stuff, it was, it's a lot quirkier. It's like a lot more like whack, like the, the metaphors and, you know, just are like <laughs> way crazier. But I think that that's still a little bit my style. Yeah. Like I like to, write stuff and you know hopefully it feels a little bit more uh quirky or there's some interesting uh, uh analogy that just is like the weird way my mind works um uh, uh, but i try you know different styles i try different things you know i like did sketches one time and like you never know if mm-hmm. what it's gonna you know i just it's just to try and keep it a little bit um different and just to also learn new things for for myself well what i really loved about that one is that so many people will rant about those topics but it was consistently positive despite being like yeah don't do this stuff (laughs) it was incredible like it's so easy to get negative when you're writing about stuff on the internet and that was one of my favorite pieces of getting the message across without doing that so i loved the imposter syndrome blog post you wrote oh thank you that was awesome as well is that still something on your mind that you think about or was writing that sort of like getting it all out of your system no uh it was it's definitely something that's still on my mind and i think uh you know i mean very honestly i think it's something that like i'm always like so many situations where i'm just like wow like can i do this or i'm totally feeling like an imposter Uh, and it is easier for me to reflect on because you know i think anything with some time when you you know kind of reckon with it a little bit more and you're able to actually talk about it then it gets easier um and that's one thing that i've learned too is like through this process of writing sometimes when you just get it out there even it feels scary to do so or you're like i don't know if people are going to agree with this or admit like is this like a stupid opinion or you know uh but just to be able to do that a little bit more i think like you know you realize like 
actually, yeah, everyone's got that. And, and the more I talk to people about things like the imposter syndrome, the more, you know, I realize like this isn't just, it's not just like it's me or, you know, it's just, it's like everyone has felt this at some point and it feels like a really universal thing. And the more that we can openly talk to each other about it, the the easier it is, you know, because yeah. we can support each other and it's, and you, you don't feel quite so alone. You don't feel like it's just thing you have to like hide. Worried about getting found out. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other advice to people that might be dealing with imposter syndrome besides writing about it or have you found any thought processes that are helpful for you yeah and uh i think there's a lot of really great research in this area so it's helped me to you know under and i think this is one of the reasons why cheryl also wrote lean in because Mm -hmm. a lot of it is actually backed by research you know and all of this stuff where you're like maybe i'm the only person in the world who feels this way um, the more you sort of realize that, hey, you know, that like this is, you know, there's like there's facts, there's figures, there's statistics, uh, the, and the more it becomes this sort of thing that everyone's like, yeah, that that is a thing that we can all talk it's about. It's like a peace of mind knowing that everyone else has yeah. that to some degree as well. Okay. Yeah, and so I think I think um, you know, for me, it's like the the just learning a little bit more about it and learning a little bit more about all of the the psych studies and the research that's been done. For me, it's been finding um you know friends and other folks that i can talk to about some of those things or conversely you know being a person that i hope other people can talk to me about about some of when they're feeling that way and and i I found that to be immensely helpful Mm -hmm. um and just you know i think more awareness all around definitely well so you find yourself in like the pretty prominent role at facebook and the thing that is interesting to me is you've been there for nine years but it's so common especially in this industry to like work one year to place one year to place why nine years like what is it about facebook that keeps you excited and motivated yeah um i think it was always the mission i mean it's a couple of things the first is that it's it's such a mission driven company and even when i joined um and it was you know again a college side high school side you know nobody really knew about it my mom would call me and be like what you're joining like what 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 does that do like yeah, yeah. uh i i remember just like you know mark would get up in front of the company and he would uh you know talk about like what it is that we were here to do and even then he was like imagining that this is a, a network that connected the world not that it's just like a college site that you know all of us in college were using but that it's that connection and sharing and all that stuff was like universal and so he was already setting this picture that was way more. It was like, you know, 10 years down the line and it seemed kind of crazy, you know what I mean? And I think that that, that all like mission-driven companies kind of have that where it's like, you, you know, there's a, there's a vision there and the vision seems crazy. You're just like, whoa, like don't know if we can actually do it, but that's what's exciting about it. You know, it, it isn't um, that it feels like there's there's something, you know, that, that we're trying to achieve here that is um, much bigger than any one of us could hope to do on our own. Uh, and so I think that that, and, and even now, you know, I, and like I remember eight years ago, you know, Mark was like, we're going to connect a billion people. And it was like everyone on the internet at that point, it was like, that's like, that's so crazy. And then you fast forward, it's like, we got there, but the mission has still been at least like 10 years out, you know, at, at every step of the way. And even when it seemed like yeah, it would be inevitable that we would actually get, you know, a billion people on Facebook. The goal had been changing to like, well, what about all the people in the world? Like they don't even have internet access. Like so many of them don't. And that's when, you know, the internet.org initiative 
was born. And all of this, I think, has for me been very, very consistent in terms of what Facebook's mission has been. Like in all of those nine years, it you know hasn't the values haven't changed. You know the goals have, but that that part has felt very, very stable. And I think the second reason I've I've been there is because I think the problems are just really interesting. You know, there's really interesting um, product problems, design problems. We're you know solving for social dynamics, which is which is just you know infinitely interesting, <laughs> right? <laughs> infinitely variable. Yeah, yeah, infinite variable, infinitely interesting. You know, super hard. Um, you know, technology is is changing so rapidly, but like you know, this is a really broad mission. And three, I just think that you know, there's I've really enjoyed meeting, learning, and working with all of the the folks that I have the, you know, uh, privilege of working with. Like, it's a really smart group of people, mm -hmm. and uh, it's fun to, to work with them. Uh, how is design perceived within Facebook in terms of importance and priority? Is that, like, a first step um, as compared to something like engineering or yeah. product, I guess, product management or something? Yeah, I would consider Facebook a very product-centric company. I don't mean product as in, like, PMs. I, I mean, like, you know, in terms of what what actually matters it's it's like the product and what does it do for people and does it solve their problems and does it you know uh uh actually have impact i think that like we're very very focused on that aspect and that is how we think about you know design as well and and one of the frameworks that we use uh to talk about design at, at facebook is is kind of you know you'll see these this heart and it's got like these three pieces and um you know the first piece is value right it's like everything we build should have value meaning it solves a problem or it you know does something that 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 is that is worth it enough for people that they would use it again you know and so you know you have something valuable when a lot of people you know repeatedly come back to whether it's a feature an app you know whatever it is right that that's sort of the most critical piece and it, it, if you can't if we don't have something that's like valuable then almost the other details don't really matter mm. um because a lot of what we try to build, we hope is are things that um, will hopefully help and impact a large number of people. You know, we're not really looking to build very, very niche experiences for like a very small subset um, of, of the world. We hope that, you know, the things that we do uh, are are gonna be applicable to a large number of people. And so that's the, the core. And so when we think about design, we're always thinking about like, okay, well, yeah, but what's, you know, what's the problem? Does it, you know, what, what do people want? Like, how do they behave? How do they think? And this is going to solve that, you know, does it have the right dynamics in order to, to do the thing that we want? And then the next piece after that, you know, is ease of use. Mm -hmm. And uh, because frankly, you know, anything that is valuable, well, then everybody will use it. But then, you know, in this landscape, there's always competition for value, right? Like a lot of other things will come up that, you know, offer the same value in terms of functionality. Mm -hmm. And then I think you start to compete on like, well, which one's easier to use and which one's more accessible, you know, uh, which one and ease of use includes everything from like performance, which is, you know, a huge part of what people perceive as like, is this easy to use uh, to, yeah, the interaction design to like, what is your arc, you know, your, what's your like hierarchy of the app, right? Do you have the most common things um, upfront or is it, you know, do you have like good content that kind of explains it or are people just like having to navigate this clunky thing? And um, so that's the next layer. And then, uh, but again, you know, in, in this market, like competition is very fierce, right? Lots of, you know, apps can offer the same value, maybe, you know, similar ease of use. And then I think at the last, you, you start to uh, distinguish good products based on craft. I think craft is the idea that 
you know, the people who built it just really cared. Like they cared about you. They cared about your experience. They cared about all of the end to end and the holistic, you know, aspects of your experience. And I think everyone, you know, kind of understands craft at a high level, right? Like there's the idea that this thing, whatever it is, you know, furniture you're sitting on or, you know, food that you're eating is just made with like love and care and people who like sweated the details. And I think that, that there's that element to it, which is, and if you have to have all of these things to, I think, have a product that feels really well designed and feels like something people really love, that is like the kind of thing that, you know, we, that those are all, I think, the elements that we care about, but we really do want to make sure that like, you know, you don't, necessarily sway on the details if you haven't even solved the value problem right if you mm-hmm. haven't actually built something that that is valuable is that becoming harder to maintain and grow as the team continues growing or is the onboarding process enough that like every new hire can operate on a good level for those three pieces well there's a couple of things the first is that i think that naturally expectations of what is a you know a well designed or a you know a good app, um, like what the bar is, um, continues to be higher and higher. And I think a lot of it is just like, well, users expectations, right? Like, you know, 20 years ago when the internet was just getting, it's like everyone put up with just like, you know, like all sorts of shit, you know, <laughs> uh, because that, that's just like, that was like West. the norm. Yeah. And then, you know, like Apple launched iPhone and suddenly, you know, you're like, wow, apps should be designed a certain, you know, this, and they mm-hmm. should like feel really good and they should like, you know, work really well and, and and feel like really beautiful and delightful. And I think that that just, you know, everyone's expectations continues to, I think, in increase in terms of like what they consider like good design to be. And so we like, I think that isn't just that it's just like in the industry right. everywhere, right? That and you see now like so many more companies investing in design because that's just what it's like what you have to it's like the, it's like the expectations what like you know all of us as consumers have come to expect from the it's good for everyone yeah, yeah. the products and services that we use um but i think that in term and, and so that that is even true in terms of engineers now you know it's like there's way more engineers who maybe 10 years ago didn't the thought of design as like varnish or polish you mm-hmm. know and it didn't matter and now you know you hire in, not engineers or pms or, or everyone not just designers and everyone kind of understands that a little bit more and so everyone cares about that and so you know our whole company i would say like definitely cares um, much more about about these three elements you know about value and um, ease of use and, and craft and um, so that's been super exciting to see but yeah i think in terms of uh, the you, you know uh, craft craft piece uh, in particular requires that designers do all band together and feel like they design with a similar voice and you know um, are aware of all of the of of what's going on so that it feels unified and it feels simple and I think that that's still one of the challenges I talked about in terms of scale. Right, that's got to be getting challenging. One of the things I've found consistently interesting is that every designer I know from Facebook. Their title is product designer. How how did that decision get made? Because we've been talking a lot about the difference between a lot. <laughs> everyone, everyone defines UX as a role and uh, interaction design as a role uh-huh. and visual design. Like, I don't think these things are separate. Like, they're core competencies of one whole. So, I always thought that was very attractive yeah. from from the outside, at least. Yeah, and that that was a decision we made really, really early on. I mean, that was always you know we sort of part of it is too is because you know I mentioned like back in those days we thought that like you would hire 
a designer and they would be almost, they would, they would sort of know the whole stack and they would like know how to, you know, write the, the code, you know, for the, the, and back then it was PHP, it was a website. So it was, you know, it's not mm. like today's landscape in terms of uh, the technology being, you know, more and more like sophisticated. Which right? you've also done a ton to advance with the like HHVM and everything. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, but there was this idea that, you know, the people can kind of make, you know, without designers would design the best things if they really felt ownership over the end to end experience, right? Mm -hmm. Not just like a piece of it, not just like the visual aspect of it or like the wireframes and how, you know, one screen flows to another, but that you kind of had to see the whole of it. And so that very early on, that was how we hired designers. We were looking for generalists. And so the, the, the title was always a generalist title. Uh, mm -hmm. And we also felt that, you know, if you were able to have that ownership over the whole end to end of a, of a feature, then it would, then it also is a little bit less hierarchical, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't like you had, you know, a creative director and, you know, like different levels. It was just like, everybody is like owning, you know, this thing that they're yeah, working on. Absolutely. Everybody is like a product designer. No one can say that's not my job. Yeah. Yeah. That's really attractive. And I also found it attractive that you could also switch to a management route and it's not considered maybe i'm correct me if i'm wrong but it's not considered a promotion to go the management route no it's mm -hmm. like the same level it's just whatever you feel more comfortable doing yeah yeah but that's right and i i you know i think i think google might have been the first company um who who defined that for their engineering track right they they were like it sort of sucks that like sometimes you know great engineers in order to like advance their career have to start managing people because it is a different job you know it's a different yeah. role and you were a great engineer you just love to write code and you were deeply technical and now you have to manage people it's like and that's not what you wanted to do it's not what you're great at then it's it's kind of a shame right, right. and so mm -hmm. i think they were the first to kind of think about that or maybe not the first but they were the ones that i think maybe popularized the idea of these like parallel tracks and so yeah earlier on that was true for us and across um, engineering and design and uh, all of the other functions. The idea that you could continue, you know, and, and especially I think for these functions where uh, where there is like a ton of value to be had for just being really, really good, you know, for being one of the best, right? Um, but the best technically, the best, um, you know, you know, designer or craftsperson or product thinker uh, and continuing to be able to do that. Now, to be clear, like I think that there is a good amount of overlap between like a manager or somebody who is like a really, really senior designer because, you know, senior designers should be mentoring junior designers, right? And they should be, you know, taking an active um, stance and, and helping to, you know, teach those skills and to, you know, grow the next generation of people who are going to be great at, at that at, at design. And uh, so there is a lot of leadership involved and, and, you know, the problems do get harder. So like really senior designers get problems that very few other designers can, I think, successfully do or solve, you know, and there's problems that are a lot more ambiguous and that require like a lot more creativity, you know, um, and, and isn't just like execute, you know, in, in, in this manner. But like that, that's just, it's still so important. And if designers are good at that and that's what they want to do, then there's mm -hmm. no reason they have to do another job in order to, you know, grow their influence and their scope and their leadership. Yeah. The elevation of the IC is like, it's so awesome to me. It is awesome. It's refreshing. It doesn't feel like you're bringing down the manager role. It feels like the IC can make just a bigger contribution, which is great. And I think also for small teams, um, 
you know, I think that sometimes there is like, a, like it, it, there's a blend, right? You can be both like the people manager and, you know, be very, very hands on the work and be, mm-hmm. you know, making in the, the trenches. Yeah. in the, the decisions. And so if you've got, you know, three or four designers, it's still quite easy. But I think with managers, mostly, you know, the man, the manager track is is more about like um, being able to scale up the, the, you know, the team. And that does mean at some point that you're just not going to have all of the details to be able to make the best product and design decisions. Uh, and, and so it's much more about influencing, uh, you know, the outcome by making sure there's great people on the team, again, that they're working on the right things, that they're paired together and that, you know, there's like good process and things. Well, I'm super curious about the process um, for, you know, you're launching new products, you're improving old products. Is there a like method to all of this kind of stuff that you guys have found works really well? I think uh, I've definitely, like every year I sit, I sit down and I'm just like, do we have, you know, like, like, what is this, like, what is the secret? Like, what's the secret process? Or what's like, you know, the like handbook that will help us suddenly, you know, make amazing things like in a consistent manner. And I, I just think it's like, I don't think what exists. I just think that that's the nature of creativity because sure. were that to exist, then it would do well at repeatable things, which I think are generally much more incremental, right? And they're not like the crazy new ideas and there's not the like, you know, step function change. And, uh, you know, I read Creativity Inc., which I still think yes. is one of the best books <laughs> so about, you know, about all of this, about like the creative process. And, and it you know, it sort of really resonated when Ed, Ed was like, yeah, the only thing that you can expect is like that things change <laughs> and you and you just, you can't be scared of that. You know, you can't be, uh, you can't think that that's kind of like a bad thing or when things break down and we were, you know, we need to like refine our process. Like that's just part of what it means to like try and, and be creative and right. to come up with, you know, things that um, continue to push the bar a little bit and isn't just like the same formulas or the same tried and true things that, that everyone else is working on. So I, I've, I felt like that was probably the the best thing I'd ever read, you know, in, in terms of like, maybe putting a voice or, or, or a framework behind how to think about that. And I think that it gave me, you know, it sort of made me a little bit more relieved that it wasn't, that there wasn't just some like secret formula that none of us were like discovering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think when it comes to process, I mean, it, there's, I, there's so much too, I think wrapped up in it, which is like at a, like at a growing company like Facebook, our processes continue to evolve because just when you think that like, wow, like, you know, these are the, this is like how we do things. It just like doesn't work. It like breaks down, you know, <laughs> is it like what worked for a team of like three and suddenly now there's seven, it, you know, you sort of have to like refigure out sure. how that stuff works. I mean, when it comes to building products, I think there's a couple of things that we have learned, which is more around making sure that, you know, everything that we do, we approach it from, I mean, it, it sounds so like obvious, but it's like you like approach it from like, you know, very, first principle it's like like who are the people that we're building for and like what's the thing like what's the problem and like is this a real problem you know and uh and like how do we know if it's a real problem you know but i think so much so often and like it's easy to sort of get enamored by a solution like you start designing or you start talking you're just like oh my god like there's this great idea and like the idea in of itself is already like a solution of sorts right like there there's it's already unspoken you know something that uh is a response to like there's like all these assumptions about like why it's good or why it's cool or what problem is going to solve but sometimes like if you it's easy to get excited about something you know new like like some concept some design some idea but but then you kind of have to go and ask like well is it 
is it what's it doing you know and who's it for and how is it gonna like work and and those are some of the i think hardest questions to really get right what about stuff like facebook labs where you guys are trying random crazy things how does that fit into the process yeah um and part of that too is like for us we needed to be able to have an outlet where we could you know do some of these things and try some of these uh ideas that would be much harder to explain in the context or much harder to just make sense in the context of the Facebook main app. And so um, a lot of these were things that we wanted to learn a little bit more about. And so we would try to like build them really quickly and then we launch them and then we would learn a, you know, a bunch of lessons. And then the lessons that we've learned, we then try and incorporate into other things, whether it's within the Facebook main app or you okay. know in, in other areas. Um, and so that's part, like that was like one way where we were like, how do we continue to, you know, answer these questions and then quickly learn whether or not we're right? Because I think that that's one of the other things that I'm, maybe has always been um, part of the DNA of Facebook is like there this really uh, clear belief that we needed to be able to quickly try things and try it with real people because that's the only way that we would know, um, you know, whether this thing was, uh, you know, uh, good or bad or whether it worked or not. Like you can have smart people in a room debating all day and you know you you probably won't all agree or maybe you will it could still be completely wrong and you know we've totally been wrong on like a Mm -hmm. lot of occasions before and so the only thing that is real at the end of it is if you build something and you give it to the people you were like designing for and it like they you know they either it either works for them or doesn't Yeah. yeah well i'm curious when you when facebook has so much reach how do you determine whether something's a failure or a success? Because couldn't you just put anything out and at least have millions of users yeah, yeah. like automatically, right? Yeah, and I, this goes back to our, our question about like value because I think if you make something valuable, it's not just like will people see it and use it, but will they like go back and use it? Repeat usage. Yeah, repeat usage. I, I think that's the clearest way to know whether or not you've made something valuable. So one of the things that seemed like a really great idea from the outside even um, but never made it to the light of day. There was a redesign of the Facebook feed at one point. That 2013? Was like, mm. it was yeah. Bigger photos yep. and everything. Yep, yep. And it was yep. gorgeous, but yep. I'd be like, well, why didn't that ever make it? Yeah. Did you write a piece about that, I think? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. and I worked on that. Um, and that was like a, you know, a great lesson. It was a great learning for us because we we started off and, you know, we, we designed, like we spent a lot of time sort of brainstorming like lots of different design directions and we it was very easy for us to like get excited about this, right? Because mm-hmm. we were like, oh my God, like we would want this, you know? And like big photos, like, you know, super expressive, like, and we thought that now that, uh, you know, we had all these like huge Apple monitors and, you know, this would would be great. And like all, you know, all of our friends are like great (laughs) photographers. And so, you know, like, and when we actually tried it and- The Mike Mattis effect. Yeah, when we actually designed it and we built it and we all tried it, we all loved it. And then we launched it. And then we realized that, uh, you know, like all the things that we were tracking and just, and- and it wasn't just like, it's like not just like, oh, here's one metric that's down or, you know, and, and people wrote things like, oh, you know, maybe revenue is down. That's why you didn't ship. It was like, no, no matter how you measured, <laughs> how, like whatever like metric you could have thought of to measure whether this thing was valuable or not, it like was worse. <laughs> the new design was worse. And we spent, when we were, we just like didn't understand, you know, and we were like, what's going on? Like, it must be logging, you know, like something's broken. Like maybe <laughs> like, yeah, like, and we spent all this time trying to like understand why it was because you, you, you know, because we also, we, we weren't going to be like, 
oh, you know, it's not as good for all these numbers. So like, we like, we, we, in order to make peace with it, we had to really understand like what was going on, you know, what the hell is going on with this redesign. And then after um, just lots of research and like uncovering and uncovering and, and, you know, and try testing pieces and, and just trying to like deep get to the, you know, heart of the problem. I think what we realize is like, well, not everyone is like us and not everyone has big monitors Damn it. <laughs> and not everyone has, you know, these amazing, uh, you know, PCs and yeah. like our MacBook Pros and all, and like when you actually ran it on like a shitty computer with a PC 11 inch screen, it just isn't, it wasn't a better experience. It was like a worse experience. Um, it just, you couldn't see the full story. So it's like, you couldn't see like the photo and the comments, right? Um, you know, enough people in the world were still using uh, mouse or mice, yeah, mice instead of trackpads. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the scrolling, um, it was like much harder. It was like the thing that they were like, the likes and, you know, everything was centered and it was like harder for them to like reach over. So everything kind of moved over a little bit more. So if you imagine that like you were, you know, trying to click these buttons on the story and then you had to go over to your like scroll wheel and like, you know, and like press down on the little like scroll uh, down arrow in order to advance the page. Like it's just like all of these things took longer. And uh, like those were a lot more of the, like it just was like a worse experience. So people were just like, I ah, like, you know, I'm just not gonna use this as much because like it's harder now to do, to, to read stories and to do all of the things that we, want to do and so that was like a I think a really interesting lesson for us because I think we were designing for ourselves and we were not as clear or aware of like the fact that the audience for Facebook is so global and you know in so many different markets frankly and uh and a lot a lot of people weren't all like us that's one of my absolute favorite use cases for like data over it feels great we should just do it it's, it's so yeah like, it perfectly illustrates that that problem so where does user research fit into the process now we uh we we're so every product we build now especially especially i would say for new uh features or new products right things that get at the like new creating new value we uh try really earlier on to do um user understanding or just like trying to understand like what matters to them show them like early concepts of what we're working on um you know sometimes we'll like give a uh early version of app to actually a friend group and have them use it because a lot of this stuff is hard for us to, you know, just even test with like one person because it's sure. all about like social, like a group right, of people using right. it together. And so we'll try and find like, you know, a high school or a particular group of buddies who are like, you know, doing something and then have them try and experience. And even that isn't real, real, right? Isn't even that doesn't get at like exactly what will happen when you launch something, when, you know, people don't, they're not like in, a group or they're not in like a like a, a lab environment or they know mm -hmm. they're not like just trying to do this thing and someone's going to follow up with them for their <laughs> for their feedback you know i think we can try to get as close as possible to simulating that but it isn't ever going to be a hundred percent real you know and but we do do that for all of uh, uh our features and we're trying to do more um early stage exploratory research to just try and understand you know trying to like create more empathy for a particular you know demographic like Earlier this year in February, we sent a, a big team to India to spend just, you know, a week or two with people on the ground, not not necessarily asking them about like product, no, not like showing them like, oh, here's this feature. What do you think of it? But more just trying to understand like their life and like what what they do, like what, what you know, like we like, what do you do throughout your life? And like, how, you know, how do you use yourself and how do you how do you talk to people? Right. And 
trying to just get a better uh, understanding of, you know, how do people um, in a remote village in India live and what, what matters to them and how do they like, you know, and bringing those stories back so that we can empathize with, with it a little bit more. Um, and so we're trying to do that for different markets that, um, that, you know, I think frankly, by intuition, we can't begin to understand. You sent designers over to India. We sent, yeah, we sent designers, we sent researchers, we sent, you know, PM. So pretty large group. That's awesome. And well, I think we want to do that like, like more, not just once, but like regularly. Yeah, yeah like that's have awesome. Have that be part of our, our process. One of the coolest things about Facebook to me is it's one of like two companies on earth that has to expand the reach of the internet <laughs> to grow its market share. <laughs> it's absolutely incredible. And and so things like that, where you're going and researching places that don't have a ton of internet access or things like that. And then Facebook so Lite cool. came out. I actually haven't seen that yet. What is that? It is um just, it's like a lighter version of Facebook that is meant to just be Less really, really fast. Yeah. Okay. Really, Loads really fast. fast yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, and so I think we're, you know, starting like, you know, especially ever since this, um, we started to understand a little bit more about any of the other markets. It's like, yeah, 2G is still a huge thing, you know, mm-hmm. in many parts of the world and will probably continue to, you know, be the, like what people can expect for data. It's like, isn't going to just all be 3G, you know, 4, 4G soon. That's great, it's, even on an airplane. I mean, that's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is that ever frustrating that you have to deal with some of those constraints? Or do you feel like that's just part of the, the challenge that you're I signed think, up for? Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, I think that that's sort of, you know, if we, if if it's like, if the re- mission resonates, right? And it's like, that's what we you know, kind of care about, which is like connecting the world. And I think this is part of what it means to sort of solve for that. But, you know, at this scale, I mean, Facebook isn't just like one product or one team. It's so many different teams. And I think as a designer at Facebook, there is a lot of different, uh, you know, options in terms of like, what is the kind of project that you're working on? And so, you know, there's a lot of designers for whom like really love to do uh, the kind of design where you're like, you're designing for someone who isn't yourself, you know, and you, you have to, you know, you're, you're like there, you're researching them, you're sort of understanding them and you are designing products that you yourself won't use, but you know, you're designing for, and like lots of like lots of designers, like that's like what they love. Like that's like why they got into design. You yeah. know, it's like that, that process. Right. And then there's a lot of designers who are you know, love to work on things that are um, where they can design a little bit more intuitively, you know, and it's like they're designing for people like them or they're, you know, uh, designing for the highest end technology or where technology is going. And like we do a lot of those projects at Facebook too, you know, like it's not, I think it's not just like one or the other. It's like these all sort of can exist or do and should probably exist within the company. And, you know, we need to be pushing on where things are going for the future because mm-hmm. we need to like because if again if you just like stay still or you assume everything is what it is today then you're just going to stop innovating and so we have a lot of projects and teams that are like a little bit more forward looking and that are like you know experimenting and that are working on interfaces that we think will be huge in you know a couple years um, and then there's tons of teams that are working on you know, for markets that are up and coming. And this, these are people who are just getting onto the internet for the first time. Like there's, there's tons of that work as well. So where do you see yourself going uh, within Facebook? Like what are your next steps? Is it ever going back to, I write work? novels, dude. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna... <laughs> Retire, write some books. <laughs> exactly. And then, you know, there'll be a murder mystery. Yeah. <laughs> cool. uh, no, I, I mean, what I, I'm I'm just really excited to be um, I think working in design when the industry as a whole I think is still 
evolving and changing and we're, you know, starting to understand what it means to like have design, you know, be much more embedded with technological advances because that's not where it was 20 years ago, right? 20 years ago, it was just like, you like develop the technology and then, you know, that, that was like the thing. And now it's a lot more um, centered around people. And I'm, I like, I, I'm excited to sort of uh, see, you know, in like 10 years time where design industry is and like they'll it's all you know. oculus rift everything is for oculus rift. <laughs> but even the questions like you know like what are some of the best practices around process yeah. and you know other things and how do you know i think that there will be a lot more um discovery of these things and there will be things that become a little bit more like common knowledge um and in, in terms of because like i talk to a lot of you know people like designers design managers all like we all work at different companies but and whenever we get together, it's like, yeah, we like a lot of times like face a lot of the same challenges. Like, like the fact that like we're all, all of our companies need design so much. And yet there's like only so many designers in the world, you know, like there's more and more designers graduating every year, but you know, this it's like recruiting and figuring out how to build a team and how to, you know, have designers collaborate and, you know, how, like what it means to kind of work on these different interfaces and how, you know, how do you get, you know, a sense of like brand across, you know, desktop to mobile to like, you know, wearables in the future. And I think that there's still so many of these things that we're only starting to like work on. And in 10 years, you know, I'm sure the problems will be different, but at least some things like the processes or like, you know, what are, what's like the path for a designer, I think we'll have better, you know, answers because we'll be talking about this stuff a lot more. So I'm sort of excited to just like, it's a good answer that like evolution and, and see where that goes and, you know, hopefully like be a part of that conversation. Awesome. Well, we're about out of time, so uh, that's like the perfect spot. To yeah, that right. was a good time. Good time. Uh, anything you want to plug before you go? Your medium Do stuff, good work. Twitter, yeah, anything like that. Yeah, you can, uh, I guess, <laughs> find the things that are right once every three weeks on Medium. Um, still going to continue to publish. Is it going to go down to four weeks next year? I'm not sure. I think three weeks has actually been okay. okay. Yeah, three three weeks feels like sustainable. Are you working on a post right now? Uh, no, I'm I'm procrastinating quite a bit. So and generally, what happens is uh, I'll like have two weekends off and then one weekend where I write. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Cool. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. Sweet. Well, thank you guys. Really appreciate. Yeah, thank you on. for coming on. That was the show. We hope you enjoyed listening to it. We had a lot of fun chatting with Julie. And of course, if you are enjoying things, leave us a rating on iTunes. We really enjoy reading those. All the star ratings help us move up in the charts. We haven't gotten a few in a while. So, uh, so guys, step up your game. Step it up. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. Our DM inbox is open if you want to chat, or you can just tweet at us and we'll reply. Of course, before we go, the show wouldn't be possible without our amazing sponsors. Dropbox, as you know, is a free easy way for designers to keep projects safe you can send huge files in seconds and you can really make beautiful things together with your team and collaborate on your projects to find out how dropbox can make your design life easier visit dropbox.com thank you so much to dropbox our, our second sponsor is once again imagix imagix is a real-time image resizing service and cdn It'll serve all your images however you want them just based on manipulating the URL, which is incredible. And it serves them all from ImageX's CDN, so they're like blazing fast. You really don't have to worry about assets with when once you switch to them. Like they're doing things the right way. They're handling images correctly, and that's pretty fantastic. You don't have to let engineering constraints affect your design decisions. Performance is just built in, and that's incredible. 
So you just store the original asset, you can render any size merely by manipulating its URL, masking, pixel density, all sorts of stuff. It's free to try. Just go check it out, imagix.com. That's I-M-G-I-X.com. Thanks once again to Imagix. See you on Monday with Jeff Tehan.